0: Part two, chapter seven, section three of Nostromo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nostromo by Joseph Conrad. Part two, chapter seven, section three. With the writing of the last line there came upon Decoud a moment of sudden and complete oblivion. He swayed over the table as if struck by a bullet. The next moment he sat up, confused, with the idea that he had heard his pencil roll on the floor. The low door of the café, wide open, was filled with the glare of a torch, in which was visible half of a horse, switching its tail against the leg of a rider with a long iron spur strapped to the naked heel. The two girls were gone, and Nostromo, standing in the middle of the room, looked at him from under the round brim of the sombrero low down over his brow. "'I have brought that sour-faced English doctor in Senora Gold's carriage,' said Nostromo. I doubt if, with all his wisdom, he can save the padrona this time. They have sent for the children. A bad sign, that. He sat down on the end of a bench. She wants to give them her blessing, I suppose. Dazedly Decoud observed that he must have fallen sound asleep, and Nostromo said, with a vague smile, that he had looked in at the window and had seen him lying still across the table with his head on his arms. The English Signora had also come in the carriage, and went upstairs at once with the doctor. She had told him not to wake up Don Martin yet, but when they sent for the children, he had come into the café. The half of the horse, with its half of the rider, swung round outside the door. The torch of tow and resin in the iron basket, which was carried on a stick at the saddle-bow, flared right into the room for a moment, and Mrs. Gold entered hastily with a very white, tired face. The hood of her dark blue cloak had fallen back. Both men rose. "'Teresa wants to see you, Nostromo,' she said. The capataz did not move decoud with his back to the table began to button up his coat the silver mrs gold the silver he murmured in english don't forget that the esmeralda garrison have got a steamer they may appear at any moment at the harbour entrance the doctor says there is no hope mrs gold spoke rapidly also in english i shall take you down to the wharf in my carriage and then come back to fetch away the girls. She changed swiftly into Spanish to address Nostromo. Why are you wasting time? Old Giorgio's wife wishes to see you. I am going to her, Signora, muttered the Capataz. Dr. Monium now showed himself, bringing back the children. To Mrs. Gould's inquiring glance, he only shook his head and went outside at once followed by Nostromo. The horse of the torch-bearer, motionless, hung his head low, and the rider had dropped the reins to light a cigarette. The glare of the torch played on the front of the house, crossed by the big black letters of its inscription, in which only the word Italia was lighted fully. The patch of wavering glare reached as far as Mrs. Gould's carriage, waiting on the road, with the yellow-faced, portly Ignacio apparently dozing on the box. By his side Basilio, dark and skinny, held a Winchester carbine in front of him, with both hands, and peered fearfully into the darkness. Nostromo touched lightly the doctor's shoulder. "'Is she really dying, Senor doctor?' "'Yes,' said the doctor, with a strange twitch of his scarred cheek. "'And why she wants to see you, I cannot imagine.' "'She has been like that before,' suggested Nostromo, looking away. "'Well, Capataz, I can assure you she will never be like that again,' snarled Dr. Moniam. "'You may go to her or stay away. There is very little to be got from talking to the dying.' But she told Donna Emilia, in my hearing, that she has been like a mother to you, ever since you first set foot ashore here. See, and she never had a good word to say for me, to anybody. It is more as if she could not forgive me for being alive, and such a man, too, as she would have liked her son to be. Maybe, exclaimed a mournful, deep voice near them. Women have their own ways of tormenting themselves. Giorgio Viola had come out of the house. He threw a heavy black shadow in the torchlight, and the glare fell on his big face, on the great bushy head of white hair. He motioned the capataz indoors with his extended arm. Dr. Moniam, after busying himself with a little medicament-box of polished wood on the seat of the landau, turned to old Giorgio and thrust into his big trembling hand one of the glass-stoppered bottles out of the case. Give her a spoonful of this now and then, in water, he said. It will make her easier. And there is nothing more for her? asked the old man patiently. No, not on Earth, said the doctor, with his back to him, clicking the lock of the medicine case. Nostromo slowly crossed the large kitchen, all dark, but for the glow of a heap of charcoal, under the heavy mantle of the cooking range, where water was boiling in an iron pot with a loud bubbling sound between the two walls of a narrow staircase. A bright light streamed from the sick-room above and the magnificent capataz de cargadores, stepping noiselessly in soft leather sandals, bushy-whiskered, his muscular neck and bronzed chest bare in the open check-shirt, resembled a Mediterranean sailor just come ashore from some wine or fruit-laden felucca. At the top he paused, broad-shouldered, narrow-hipped and supple, looking at the large bed, like a white couch of state, with a profusion of snowy linen, amongst which the padrona sat unpropped and bowed, her handsome, black-browed face bent over her chest. A mass of raven hair, with only a few white threads in it, covered her shoulders. One thick strand, fallen forward, half-veiled her cheek. Perfectly motionless in that pose, Expressing physical anxiety and unrest, she turned her eyes alone towards Nostromo. The capataz had a red sash wound many times round his waist, and a heavy silver ring on the forefinger of the hand he raised to give a twist to his moustache. "'They are revolutions! They are revolutions!' gasped Signora Teresa. "'Look, Gian Battista!' IT HAS KILLED ME AT LAST. Nostromo said nothing, and the sick woman, with an upward glance, insisted. LOOK, THIS ONE HAS KILLED ME, WHILE YOU WERE AWAY FIGHTING FOR WHAT DID NOT CONCERN YOU, FOOLISH MAN. WHY TALK LIKE THIS? MUMBLED THE Capataz BETWEEN HIS TEETH. WILL YOU NEVER BELIEVE IN MY GOOD SENSE? It concerns me to keep on being what I am, every day alike. You never change, indeed, she said bitterly, always thinking of yourself and taking your pay out in fine words from those who care nothing for you. There was between them an intimacy of antagonism as close in its way as the intimacy of accord and affection. He had not walked along the way of Teresa's expectations. It was she who had encouraged him to leave his ship in the hope of securing a friend and defender for the girls. The wife of old Giorgio was aware of her precarious health, and was haunted by the fear of her aged husband's loneliness and the unprotected state of the children she had wanted to annex that apparently quiet and steady young man, affectionate and pliable, an orphan from his tenderest age, as he had told her, with no ties in Italy except an uncle, owner and master of a felucca, from whose ill usage he had run away before he was fourteen. He had seemed to her courageous, a hard worker, determined to make his way in the world. From gratitude and the ties of habit he would become like a son to herself and Giorgio. And then, who knows, when Linda had grown up, ten years' difference between husband and wife was not so much. Her own great man was nearly twenty years older than herself. Gian Battista was an attractive young fellow, besides, attractive to men, women, and children just by that profound quietness of personality, which, like a serene twilight, rendered more seductive the promise of his vigorous form and the resolution of his conduct. Old Giorgio, in profound ignorance of his wife's views and hopes, had a great regard for this young countryman. A man ought not to be tame, he used to tell her quoting the Spanish proverb in defense of the splendid Capataz. She was growing jealous of his success. He was escaping from her, she feared. She was practical, and he seemed to her to be an absurd spendthrift of these qualities which made him so valuable. He got too little for them. He scattered them with both hands amongst too many people, she thought. He laid no money by. She railed at his poverty, his exploits, his adventures, his loves, and his reputation. But in her heart she had never given him up, as though, indeed, he had been her son. Even now, ill as she was, ill enough to feel the chill, black breath of the approaching end, she had wished to see him. It was like putting out her benumbed hand to regain her hold— But she had presumed too much on her strength. She could not command her thoughts. They had become dim, like her vision. The words faltered on her lips, and only the paramount anxiety and desire of her life seemed to be too strong for death. The kapatas said, I have heard these things many times. You are unjust, but it does not hurt me. Only now you do not seem to have much strength to talk, and I have but little time to listen. I am engaged in a work of very great moment. She made an effort to ask him whether it was true that he had found time to go and fetch a doctor for her. Nostromo nodded affirmatively. She was pleased. IT RELIEVED HER SUFFERINGS TO KNOW THAT THE MAN HAD CONDESCENDED TO DO SO MUCH FOR THOSE WHO REALLY WANTED HIS HELP. IT WAS A PROOF OF HIS FRIENDSHIP. HER VOICE BECAME STRONGER. I WANT A PRIEST MORE THAN A DOCTOR, SHE SAID PATHETICALLY. SHE DID NOT MOVE HER HEAD. ONLY HER EYES RAN INTO THE CORNERS TO WATCH THE capataz STANDING BY THE SIDE OF HER BED. WOULD YOU GO TO FETCH A PRIEST FOR ME NOW? THINK, A DYING WOMAN ASKS YOU. Nostromo shook his head resolutely. He did not believe in priests in their sacerdotal character. A doctor was an efficacious person. But a priest as priest was nothing, incapable of doing either good or harm. Nostromo did not even dislike the sight of them as old Giorgio did. The utter uselessness of the errand was what struck him most. Padrona, he said, you have been like this before, and got better after a few days. I have given you already the very last moments I can spare. Ask Signora Gold to send you one. He was feeling uneasy at the impiety of this refusal the padrona believed in priests, and confessed herself to them. But all women did that. It could not be of much consequence. And yet his heart felt oppressed for a moment, at the thought what absolution would mean to her if she believed in it only ever so little. No matter, it was quite true that he had given her already the very last moment he could spare. You refuse to go, she gasped. Ah, you are always yourself, indeed. Listen to reason, Padrona, he said. I am needed to save the silver of the mine. Do you hear? A greater treasure than the one which they say is guarded by ghosts and devils on Azuera. It is true. I am resolved to make this the most desperate affair I was ever engaged on in my whole life. She felt a despairing indignation. The supreme test had failed. Standing above her, Nostromo did not see the distorted features of her face, distorted by a paroxysm of pain and anger. Only she began to tremble all over. Her bowed head shook. The broad shoulders quivered. Then God, perhaps, will have mercy upon me. But do you look to it, man, that you get something for yourself out of it, besides the remorse that shall overtake you some day. She laughed feebly. Get riches at least for once, you indispensable, admired Gian Battista, to whom the peace of a dying woman is less than the praise of people, who have given you a silly name and nothing besides, in exchange for your soul and body. THE Capataz DE CORGADORES SWORE TO HIMSELF UNDER HIS BREATH. LEAVE MY SOUL ALONE, PADRONA, AND I SHALL KNOW HOW TO TAKE CARE OF MY BODY. WHERE IS THE HARM OF PEOPLE HAVING NEED OF ME? WHAT ARE YOU ENVYING ME THAT I HAVE ROBBED YOU AND THE CHILDREN OF? THOSE VERY PEOPLE YOU ARE THROWING IN MY TEETH HAVE DONE MORE FOR OLD Giorgio THAN THEY EVER THOUGHT OF DOING FOR ME. He struck his breast with his open palm. His voice had remained low, though he had spoken in a forcible tone. He twisted his moustaches one after another, and his eyes wandered a little about the room. "'Is it my fault that I am the only man for their purposes? What angry nonsense are you talking, mother?' Would you rather have me timid and foolish, selling watermelons on the market place, or rowing a boat for passengers along the harbour, like a soft Neapolitan, without courage or reputation? Would you have a young man live like a monk? I do not believe it. Would you want a monk for your eldest girl? Let her grow. What are you afraid of? You have been angry with me for everything I did for years ever since you first spoke to me, in secret from old Giorgio, about Yolinda Husband to one, and brother to the other, did you say? Well, why not? I like the little ones, and a man must marry some time. But ever since that time you have been making little of me to every one. Why?" "'Did you think you could put a collar and chain on me, as if I were one of the watchdogs they keep over there in the railway yards? "'Look here, Padrona, I am the same man who came ashore one evening and sat down in the thatched ranch you lived in at that time on the other side of the town, and told you all about himself. "'You were not unjust to me then. "'What has happened since?' i am no longer an insignificant youth a good name giorgio says is a treasure padrona they have turned your head with their praises gasped the sick woman they have been paying you with words your folly shall betray you into poverty misery starvation the very leperos shall laugh at you the great capataz Nostromo stood for a time as if struck dumb. She never looked at him. A self-confident, mirthless smile passed quickly from his lips, and then he backed away. His disregarded figure sank down beyond the doorway. He descended the stairs backwards with the usual sense of having been somehow baffled by this woman's disparagement of this reputation he had obtained and desired to keep downstairs in the big kitchen a candle was burning surrounded by the shadows of the walls of the ceiling but no ruddy glare filled the open square of the outer door the carriage with mrs gold and don martin preceded by the horseman bearing the torch had gone on to the jetty. Dr. Monyam, who had remained, sat on the corner of a hardwood table near the candlestick. His seamed, shaven face inclined sideways, his arms crossed on his breast, his lips pursed up, and his prominent eyes glaring stonily upon the floor of black earth. Near the overhanging mantle of the fireplace where the pot of water was still boiling violently, old Giorgio held his chin in his hand, one foot advanced, as if arrested by a sudden thought. Adios, viejo, said Nostromo, feeling the handle of his revolver in the belt and loosening his knife in its sheath. He picked up a blue poncho lined with red from the table and put it over his head. Adios, look after the things in my sleeping-room, and if you hear from me no more, give up the box to Paquita. There is not much of value there, except my new Serapi from Mexico, and a few silver buttons on my best jacket. No matter, the things will look well enough on the next lover she gets, and the man need not be afraid I shall linger on earth after I am dead, like those gringos that haunt the Azuera. Dr. Moniem twisted his lips into a bitter smile. After old Giorgio, with an almost imperceptible nod, and without a word, had gone up the narrow stairs, he said, Why, Capatas, I thought you could never fail in anything. Nostromo, glancing contemptuously at the doctor, lingered in the doorway, rolling a cigarette, then struck a match, and, after lighting it, held the burning piece of wood above his head till the flame nearly touched his fingers. "'No wind,' he muttered to himself. "'Look here, senor. Do you know the nature of my undertaking?' Dr. Moniam nodded sourly. "'It is as if I were taking up a curse upon me, senor doctor.' A man with a treasure on this coast will have every knife raised against him in every place upon the shore. You see that, senor doctor? I shall float along with a spell upon my life till I meet somewhere the northbound steamer of the company, and then, indeed, they will talk about the capataz of the Sulaco Cargadores from one end of America to another. Dr. Moniam laughed his short, throaty laugh. Nostromo turned round in the doorway. "'But if your worship can find any other man ready and fit for such business, I will stand back. I am not exactly tired of my life, though I am so poor that I can carry all I have with myself on my horse's back.' "'You gamble too much, and never say no to a pretty face, Capataz,' said Dr. Moniam, with sly simplicity. "'That's not the way to make a fortune. But nobody that I know ever suspected you of being poor. I hope you have made a good bargain, in case you come back safe from this adventure.' "'What bargain would your worship have made?' asked Nostromo blowing the smoke out of his lips through the doorway. Dr. Moniem listened up the staircase for a moment, before he answered, with another of his short, abrupt laughs, illustrious capataz, for taking the curse of death upon my back, as you call it, nothing else but the whole treasure would do. Nostromo vanished out of the doorway with a grunt of discontent at this jeering answer. Dr. Moniem heard him gallop away. Nostromo rode furiously in the dark. There were lights in the buildings of the O.S.N. Company near the wharf, but before he got there he met the gold carriage. The horseman preceded it with the torch, whose light showed the white mules trotting the portly Ignacio driving and Basilio with the carbine on the box from the dark body of the landau, Mrs. Gould's voice cried, "They are waiting for you, Capataz!" She was returning chilly and excited with decoud's pocket-book still held in her hand. He had confided it to her to send to his sister. Perhaps my last words to her, he had said, pressing Mrs. Gould's hand. End of part two, chapter seven, section three.